And this is OWC Radio number 11. I am Tim Robertson. And a couple years ago, back in 2008, a new website launched that quickly became one of my daily visits. Um, it's very rare when I find a new website that I quickly bookmark and end up going there every single day. The Technologizer was one of those websites. It's still one of those websites that I go every day, and I'm just amazed at some of the stuff that I find there. In fact, just uh, today when I visited it, there's a brand new post from the owner of the site, Harry McCracken, called I Love the 80s. It's a fabulous post. I hope you check it out. I'm going to put a link right into the show notes at OWC Radio. But I'm fortunate enough to have Harry right here on the show with me today. Hello, Harry. Hey, Tim. How's it going? It's going real great. Congratulations on the success of the Technologizer. I really love the site. Thank you very much. You know, we've talked a few times on the MyMac.com podcast, but this is the first time I've had you here on OWC Radio. So I don't want to assume that everyone that's listening to this podcast has heard you on the other ones. So let's just take a few seconds here and go through your history. What did you do before the Technologizer? How did you get into the tech field? Well, I grew up loving magazines, uh, and before that, comic books, and I got very interested in gadgets and personal computers, really, when I was in junior high school, which was when the TRS-80 and the Apple II and the Commodore PET started coming out, and um, I was fortunate enough to find work that kind of combined those two things. I, I started work um, really in the early 90s, uh, was when I started work in computer magazines seriously. I worked for IDG, which is the company that publishes PC World and InfoWorld and MacWorld and a bunch of others on a publication called Computer Buying World, which actually failed pretty quickly, but it was a great foot in the door into the business. And that's all you needed at the time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, you get people always ask me how you get started writing professionally, and the way you do it is just to write and write for somebody who will publish it, hopefully for money, but if not that, Even though just write. Today, though, you don't really necessarily need someone to publish it for you. I mean, you're not no, going to get the all. exposure, but you know, you could start writing, just write. A lot of people send email to me saying, how do I get into podcasting? Start recording yourself. Same thing with writing. Absolutely. I mean, if I was starting all over again, I think the opportunity is huge because in the old days, you needed to find some large company that would put your words on paper and print them and distribute them around the country, and um, you don't need that anymore. And this isn't just a saying. Yeah, this isn't just a theory of yours. This is practice. You're doing this every day, and you've been doing it for a couple of years now. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I loved working in magazines, and I loved working at PC World, which is where I ended up spending most of my time in the magazine business. But I kind of felt that journalists have an incredible opportunity today because they don't they don't necessarily need a middleman anymore. Um, they can find readers directly and um, and do things their own way. And there's obviously a lot less overhead if you're a small business and if you're a big company that needs to make millions of dollars. Do you think the Technologizer's popularity coincides coincidentally or not with the rise of, say, Facebook and Twitter and the sites that you can meet other people, spread the word, viral marketing? Do you think that helped the Technologizer or – is it just um, more of a coincidence? I mean, probably at least a little bit, because um, when I started the site about a year and a half ago, that was when Twitter was really first starting to boom, and I really enjoyed using Twitter, so I spent a lot of time on it, just talking about what I was up to and sometimes linking to my stuff on the site, um, and it turned out that Twitter was sort of a large part of, of the community aspect of Technologizer. Um, it's a lot easier to go to a large community like Twitter 
and participate in that than just declare that you're going to create a community of your own. And, and that's what I ended up doing. So now you're actually covering a lot of the events live, if not you personally, then people that are writing for you. I know you were at the Apple event. What did you think of the new iPad? Well, you know, as usual, um, snap judgments with Apple products are dangerous. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because really, uh, particularly with something like the iPad, I think if you're going to try to gauge where it's going, it makes a lot more sense not, not to focus on, on this first product, which, which clearly has some limitations, and to think about where it'll be a year from now. If, if you go back to the iPhone, um, as I was writing about the iPad, I wrote a couple of stories about the, the initial impressions of the iPhone. First, before it was announced, when people were talking about it incessantly, but they were completely wrong about what Apple was going to do. And then what people had to say about the iPhone in the week or two after it was released, which, which also in a lot of cases sort of failed to figure out where it was going. But if you look at where the iPhone was a year later when the iPhone 3G came out, it's all a lot clearer. And I kind of feel like the best way to think about the iPad is to figure out what, what the iPad 2.0 that will come out a year from now will be like. Um, and you're, you, know, you can be pretty confident that it will have things like a camera, You'll have a lot more content than the iPad has now, and it'll fix a lot of the things that people have issue with now. And so I'm, I think I'm generally speaking pretty upbeat about the iPad. I don't, I don't see it replacing, you know, a, a traditional Mac or a traditional Windows PC right now. But I, I certainly see it encroaching on netbooks and on e-readers like the Kindle. You know, I plan on getting one, but then again, I love Apple's technology, so there's no surprise there. But by the same token, the more I think about it, especially when I'm sitting at home, sitting on the couch, I really kind of, it's appealing to me to be able to pull something that that's large and play a game on or check my Facebook status or whatever it happens to be rather than the iPhone. Now, I've got small kids in the house, so putting my laptop in my lap in the living room really isn't an option. And the iPhone, when I pull that out, it's just too small. I mean, I'm 40 years old now. Um, I've still got pretty good eyesight, don't get me wrong, but it's it's pretty small, especially for reading text for any length of time. With the iPad, it seems to really fill that kind of a, a niche market for me personally. Is that something that you think you would use it for? Well, the, the screen size is going to make a lot of difference. It, it really is just um, a different and better experience because there's more room to roam. And, and the keyboard, even though it looks a lot like the iPhone keyboard, is quite a bit better than I expected, just because when the keys are that large, you can be pretty confident that um, you can hit the right key and not make too many typos. Um, I think the big issue are are things like, um, is the keyboard good enough for extended use? Is the battery life as good as Apple says? Uh, Will they be able to do the book deals they need to um, compete with the Kindle? Will they start signing up magazines and newspapers? And all of that stuff will be a lot clearer a few months down the road. Absolutely. So when was you first published? When did you really start getting into writing about technology? Around 91, 92, you said? Um, you know, I kind of dabbled in it even sort of right after I got out of high school. I did a few pieces for a magazine called Creative Computing that people who were around in the early 80s will probably remember. Yeah, I remember it. <laughs> um, and it was a great magazine. It kind of inspired me. But it was it was the early 90s when I started doing it full time. So this and has been money. 20 years. You know, yeah, next year it will be 20 years. It certainly doesn't seem like that long. So if you look back over 20 years, uh, discounting the stuff that's currently in your possession that you use on, on an everyday basis, what were your favorite tech items over the last 20 years? What can you point to and say that was either a watershed moment or that was a product that I personally really, really enjoyed using? 
Good question. I mean, if you, if you rule out if you rule out things, I'm still using like yeah. the iPhone and because Google. I, you know they're so much better than what we had before. So you kind of right. got to rule those out. I mean, one thing that leaps to mind is the first laptop I had, which I actually still have in a closet somewhere, which was a, a Zenith. If people remember when Zenith used to make computers, <laughs> sub sub notebook. Yeah. Um, and I could not afford a new laptop at the time, so it was a refurbished model, but it was. You know, almost the MacBook era of its time. It was it was thin, and it was light, and it ran Windows pretty well, which was not a given in the early '90s. No, and, and that that was the first time I could get up and go with a computer. Although back then, there was no broadband, let alone 3G broadband. So when I got up and, and went, I did not take the internet with me. I, I had to be connected to dial-up to do it. But but that was a transforming moment that leaps to mind. If you look back to 20 years, um, what do you think the defining moment, let's say, technology-wise was? Let's just go or start in the 80s. What was the one thing that came out in the 80s tech-wise, computer-wise, that was the most significant in your opinion? Well, I mean, um, I know this is sort of a an Apple-centric podcast, but I'm not just saying that because of that. I mean, I think you'd have to count the Macintosh as the single most important product of the 80s, um, simply in terms of, of bringing the graphical user interface to computing and and setting the basic interface, which we're still using. Mm-hmm. I'd agree A quarter with century you. later, uh, the IBM PC obviously was also really important in terms of creating the notion that there would be a standard, which most PCs would, would standardize on. But even before that, there was something called CPM, which was sort of a, a proto version of DOS. Yeah, ran so Altair, and yep. So I'd have to say the Mac was the single most important product of, of the 80s. What about the 90s? I think in the 90s, it's really easy. It was the web and you know, probably specifically Netscape Navigator. Yeah, definitely. The, big, the biggest difference, because that was the first browser that a lot of people encountered. And the web was the single most important thing that happened to PCs since the PC. I think more people probably in uh, the 90s were on an American Online or CompuServe or eWorld and those kind of services. I don't think most people had high-speed Internet connection until, um, you know, the 2000s. So moving yeah. forward to this decade that we just left, basically, um, I, I'm going to say broadband, but I'm curious on what you would think. You know, broadband has been really key. I would, I would throw Google in there just in terms of the transforming effect it's had and how we get information. Not AltaVista? <laughs> <laughs> I loved AltaVista when it came out. I did, too. Uh, that, was, that was quite remarkable. And I remember my father calling me up and sort of, you know, being stunned by it and trying to figure out how it, how it came up with so much information so quickly. Yeah, the search really is what made the Internet usable. Because without search, how would you ever know where to go? How would you find anything? Everything would be hyperlinked, and I, we needed search. So I, I think you might be right. Between broadband, everywhere internet, and it's still not everywhere, let's be honest, um, and a search engine like Google that really will let you find the information quickly and easily that you're looking for, it really is transformative, isn't it? Absolutely. So where does it go from this point now that everyone has, and again, not everyone, but for the sake of argument, everyone has high-speed Internet access. We have these little computers that can either fit in our pocket, uh, in a sleeve, or on our desk. We have access to all the information that we want. If I want to know how to, you know, I don't know, 
uh, make pulled pork, I can look on Google and three minutes later I've got a complete recipe or 50 complete recipes. So where do we go from this point, Harry? Well, I think I think the ongoing evolution of mobile devices is the single biggest thing right now. Um, I mean, as amazing as the iPhone and Android and the Palm Pre are, I kind of feel like we're at about 1985. Mm. If you compare the evolution of phones to the evolution of PCs, and most of the amazing things that happen haven't happened yet. And uh, and if we do another podcast 10 years from now, we'll be kind of stunned at, at how much happened uh, in the decade that we haven't seen yet. So you think it's going to be mobile computing? I think so. I mean, I, th- I think you want the Internet to travel around with you everywhere, and I really do feel pretty strongly that um, that phones are going to start to replace laptops and, and desktops will essentially go away. And, um, and there, you know, you will sometimes want a nice keyboard and a screen, um, but there's not going to be a computer connected directly to that screen and keyboard. You're, you're, you'll be able to sit down at it, and your phone will instantly connect yeah. to it. Because the content, content creators are still going to need larger screens to, to yes. make the content and much more horsepower. But then again, I mean, uh, the new iPads, one gigahertz already. That's unbelievable. Right. Uh, I mean, I really feel between more powerful chips and, and really good high-speed Internet access on phones, which isn't here yet, uh, when those things do come along, the, um, the phone will be capable of doing almost everything that most people want. And I suppose there will be people who do things like video editing who will need something more powerful. But but I, I think when people think of a PC a decade from now, they will think of something they put in their pocket. I read somewhere, um, and I wish I could find it again because it was a really interesting blog post. And it was one of those that I found by clicking this website and clicking that website, and I just ended up here. But the argument, um, in essence, was if you want to enact world peace on a real level – not just in words but in deeds. Give everybody uh, a laptop with free Internet access and no restrictions on communications or um, what kind of information they can access. Uh, And that would lead to world peace because the whole idea behind it was, this writer was, if everybody could talk to everybody else, we'd find out we'd have a lot more in common than we have differences. Um, Do you think there's any truth to that? I certainly think that information has a democratizing effect, and um, you know there have been a, a few stories in the last year or so that touch on that, such as um, you know after the Iranian election, people in Iran using Twitter to communicate. Uh, we've seen just recently more and more discussion of the fact that in China they are suppressing free conversation on the internet um, because they understand that if, if people can talk to each other and talk to the outside world, um, they're far more likely to want freedom than if they can't. Now, I remember reading your article that was basically bravo Google um, for the recent actions that they took um, confronting the Chinese government saying, you know, we're not gonna, we don't want to censor anymore. We'd rather not do business here than continue to censor the search results. Has there been think- any progress with that yet? Well, supposedly they're still talking to each other. I mean, I, it's a really complicated question because I also do feel that um, that simply opting out of having a relationship with, with this incredibly large, important country is not really an option. And uh, and you'd hope that by interacting, you would, you would gradually 
push them in the right direction. Uh, but I do admire Google for taking a firm stand. Uh, and incidentally, Technologizer is not available in China because really? I'm, I'm hosted by the WordPress folks who you know host millions of blogs. Oh. And um, and they were to- essentially, as I understand it, told that they could not be in China unless they agreed to some of the censorship rules that some of the other blogging platforms agreed to. And they said, no, thank you. We won't censor our blogs. And so all the WordPress blogs are not available. Although the interesting thing about China is that uh, when I was there, even though I couldn't get on Technologizer, I met lots of folks who were able to get on it. And it's pretty clear that there are lots of people in China who understand how to get around the, the Great Firewall of China <laughs> and, and get to a more open Internet. It's, it is, you cannot really suppress the Internet completely, no matter how hard you try. Do you think it's only a matter of time before those kind of rules and regulations as far as the transfer of information, that just kind of falls apart there because they just – how are they going to keep on top of the technology that their own people are using to bypass these, you know – firewalls and, and that sort of thing. I really hope so. And I, uh, when I was in uh, college, gosh, almost 25 years ago now, I took a lot of Chinese history and we spent a lot of time trying to predict where China was going. And I think that in general, we were a little bit, we actually got it completely wrong. There are some ways in which it evolved to a, a market economy far more quickly than we predicted. Um, but we also probably wouldn't have guessed the degree to which you know, uh, business in China could mature without freedom of speech, um, keeping up with it. So I know you're going to be at the Macworld Expo next week. Um, what are you predicting that uh, is going to happen at the Macworld Expo other than because obviously Apple's not going to be there? And by that, I mean, do you think that this is going to be a very successful event? Do you think a lot of people are going to show up? Or do you think that this is going to be kind of a letdown? Well, I think people's expectations are extremely low because this has been a show which for so long has been defined by Apple being there and by the Apple keynote. And, you know, it's been wonderful for the Macworld Expo folks because they've gotten on the front page of newspapers all over the world. Uh, and people are very aware that none of that is happening this year. And you see people thinking that the show is going to be a complete bust and that, that this will be the last one. And if there's any good news in that, I think it's just that it won't be all that hard to exceed people's expectations. Um, and if the show is good and useful, um, people will come over and, hey, this was better than I expected. Um, I know that they have uh, – I talked to them last week, and they have about 230 exhibitors this year. It was around 430 last year. So, um, But a lot of those last show. year were those you know, one-person booths. Yeah. And a lot of the booths that I saw – I never saw anybody working in the booth. Yeah. Well, I think even this year, it's a mix of big companies like Microsoft and very small companies. About a third of the exhibitors there are going to be app developers. Uh, Presumably, most of those are really small companies. Uh, The other thing that they're doing, uh, which seems really smart in terms of, of making the show make sense without Apple, is really focusing on the conference aspect and trying to have really good content and help. Mac fans and iPhone fans meet and network with other Mac fans and iPhone fans. I think you're right. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be there um, all three days. And, of course, it happens February 11th through the 13th at the Moscone Center. 
And uh, hopefully while you're there, Harry, stop by our booth. It's going to be 1354. Uh, I'll be at the booth occasionally, but I'm going to be kind of roaming the showroom floor like you are. Um, I'll be doing podcasting and, and getting information, that sort of thing, during the expo. One of the things that I like to do here with the guests is called This or That. I'm going to ask five questions. There's no incorrect answers. There's no correct answers. These are all opinion. And I just give you a choice. I can say black or white, and you could say black because uh, that's how you like your coffee. Uh, and you can elaborate on your answer if you like. But if you're ready, we'll get started on this or that. Let's go for it. All right. The first one, Google or Yahoo? Google. Mm, that was quick. I, you know, the, the very first website I used was Yahoo in late 1994. Uh, I certainly still use it for a bunch of things, but if I could go to a desert island and take only one, <laughs> it, would be, it would be Google without question. Number two, Twitter or Facebook? Twitter. Um, I like Facebook, but I, I love Twitter. Yeah, I follow you on both places, and you seem to be a little bit – I know that you use, um, I'm assuming, FriendFeed to kick your Twitter posts over to Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm using some service to do that, and I, I run into people who talk about how incredibly active I am on Facebook, and actually I'm not very <laughs> active at all since everything gets gets pumped through. Yeah, I, I like how you use that platform, though, Twitter and Facebook, um, to kind of build content for the technologizer, or at least you're asking your readers, hey, has anybody – in fact, just a couple of the day, do a, the ad thing for the iPad, and there was something about scammers or something using Facebook. Right. Yeah. You know. uh, and, you know, for me, Twitter and Facebook are quite different. With with Twitter, I'm mainly communicating with people I don't know personally. Mm -hmm. Facebook, it's much more likely to be, to be friends and family and old high school buddies and people I knew when I was three years old. Um, so I like them both. You're using exactly the same way I am. And it is kind of a combination for me on Facebook because most of them are family and older friends and stuff like that. But then I have people who uh, – I mean, if someone sends me a, a Facebook request to be a friend, I'll accept it. But some of the people that I get them for, I have no idea who they are. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's quite odd. On face, or on Twitter, we don't really know who's following us. We don't get you know that in-depth with – you get the notices if you sign up for it. But with Facebook, you literally have to approve them. And so I think if – if you don't know someone, you're a little bit more hesitant on Facebook just to accept it, don't you think? There are, there are certainly people who are still sitting there in my queue asking to be approved. <laughs> who, who I have, on, whereas on, on Twitter, um, I don't have to approve you and I don't want to. I, I really think of Twitter as being like a magazine or mm -hmm. a website or a podcast. It's, it's a publication. Number three, mouse or trackpad? Well, uh Interesting question. If I, if I was allowed to give a third answer, I'd say trackball, which is what I still use. I, you know, I've, I, I'm going to have to change that because I get, I've got that a few times now. People say, well, neither. I use a trackball. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to pointing devices, but if it's between mouse and trackpad, I, I'd probably say trackpad simply because um, all the computers I use these days are laptops, and I'm perfectly happy with, with, with uh, a touchpad. I never really feel the need to plug in a mouse. Oh, you just ruined my number four question. I'm going to find something else here real quick. Number four was going to be laptop or desktop, but you kind of just answered that. So yeah. I'm, going yeah. to go to, 
<laughs> I have one desktop computer I still own, but it's kind of lonely. It just sits there, and I really only use it when I need to dig out a file that's stored on it. Well, now, obviously, this is a, a Macintosh-focused podcast, but let's be honest. I know for a fact that you use Mac and Windows, so I'm going to ask the question, Mac OS X or Windows 7? You know, I'd still say Mac OS X. This is actually something I'm going to be writing about in the next few days um, because um, it's such a huge question. And because especially lately, I've been almost 50-50 in my usage. Um, and again, thinking about desert islands, if I could take only one operating system with me, I think Snow Leopard still has a real edge. But the Delta has closed considerably. Yeah. I think Windows, Windows 7 is good. Windows 7 is a very solid operating system in most respects that matter, which you could not really say about Vista. And there are still some places where it's a little clunky or a little rougher. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, last year before Windows 7 came out, Microsoft was running those ads, basically making the point that there are only a limited number of, of Macintosh models and none of them are particularly inexpensive. And, and there's this wide variety of Windows systems and at the time, I kind of felt like, yeah, that's true, but they all run Windows Vista, which is a major liability. <laughs> uh, and Windows 7 is not a liability at all. It's, it's, it's a solid operating system. Uh, it just certainly changed my feelings about what I might buy, and I'm more likely to buy Windows machines than I was. And I, I did, in fact, buy a, um, a Windows 7 um, thin and light laptop, which cost me... You know, about $675, and no, it's not a, a MacBook Air, but in fact it, it is in some ways more powerful than one mm-hmm. and has better specs, and it's basically a pleasing machine. Um, so I think it does, I think Windows 7 has changed the equation a little bit. I certainly don't see Mac fans leaving uh, the Mac at all, but I, I do feel like people who set out being interested in both platforms are... Um, they got a harder choice. Harder choice made it a year ago for sure. Yep, I'm, I've always been a firm believer and use the tools that work best for you. Yeah, you know, I'm never an advocate of no, you have to use this because that's what I use and that's no, use the tools that work best for you. And uh, if more people, I think that's where a lot of, as you call it, and I, everyone else does too, the Mac fanboys get the uh, the bad rep is because yeah. they they just have blinders on. I can only huh. use a Mac. I can only use a Mac. Well, you know, it's a pretty big world out there. And, and in fact, it, yeah, I try hard not to use the word fanboy because so many people, the moment you start talking about Mac versus Windows, they start accusing other people yeah. of being fanboys. Yep. Uh, and fanboy suggests, you know, a blindness. And I suppose there are some people like that, but I think they're far outnumbered by people who made it a rational and intelligent decision to use the Mac, just as there are so many people out there who made rational and intelligent decisions to use Windows. Some of that I blame on Guy Kawasaki and what he was doing there in the mid eighty or mid nineties and late late nineties that you know, railing the troops and basically sending Mac users on a jihad against right. any any writer who dares to say anything negative about an Apple product. Um, well it was a little different back in the days when Apple was rather fragile. Yeah. And and Mac users were really this rather small minority and um and the Mac is so mainstream these days that there's no reason for anybody to be does defensive about it. Yeah, does it surprise you that at a time where we're in this big recession, although I guess some economic indicators are saying we're coming out of it now, but during this big recession, Apple has the most expensive hardware 
of any computer maker out there, uh, at least personal computer, they made more money and sold more units than ever before. Is that kind of surprising to you? I'm certainly, I'm constantly surprised by the degree to which Apple has set out this business plan, which is essentially the opposite of the business plan of most of the other PC companies in the world and how well it's done for them. But just over the last few days, there was news that um, at retail, nine out of 10 computers over $1,000 are Macintoshes. And yeah. The odd thing is Apple really does have a monopoly these days. It has a monopoly on, on higher-end um, personal computers. It's surprising. And, All right. and, you know, and they keep changing... They play by their own rules. I mean, the cell phone industry, before the iPhone came out, was a race to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, who can get the cheapest, crappiest phone out there? And they were going like hotcakes. Um, it seems to be yeah, just the opposite now. It, it's kind of remarkable. Um, you know, And a lot of this was strategy that Steve Jobs set out when he came back to the company, I guess about a dozen years ago. And it still works. And uh, nobody else has really successfully copied it. Every other... PC company on Earth is under immense pressure to, to bring prices down and to build machines cheaper and cheaper, and, and that's why you know such a high percentage of Windows machines these days are, are six hundred dollars or below, uh, and they play in the space where Apple has not gone, unless you count the iPad as being a, a, com a computer under six hundred dollars, which I suppose you might. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's an odd product. It's it's its own category, and it's hard to put a finger on it. It's more than a smartphone, but yes, less than a computer. I don't know what it is yet. Um, last of the, uh, before we wrap up here and, and let you get back to your own work, last of the this or that, and this is a non-tech question, although it, it does have a little bit of tech in there. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Why? You know, I, uh, i got to be honest and saying one of those people who has seen The Trouble with Tribbles and maybe, <laughs> and maybe one Star Trek movie, um, but I am I'm not only not a Trekkie, I'm just not all that well informed about Star Trek. Um, Star Wars, on the other hand, I, I, I've seen, I think I've seen all the movies, uh, and I, having grown up in the 1970s, I certainly have a certain affinity for it. Yeah, you probably remember the first time you saw Star Wars in a movie theater. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I'm not so sure if I'm pleased with what Star Wars became in terms of the newer movies not being all that great and, and George Lucas apparently being willing to license this stuff to absolutely any company on Earth for any purpose. Yep. Um, it might have been a little bit nicer if, if, they had, uh, if he'd kept it a little bit more special. Well, I was seven years old when the first Star Wars movie came out, so Star Wars kind of defined my childhood. You know, every Christmas as a child was about, you know, I'm going to get the Manillion Falcon this year and next year yeah. I'll get the X-Wing fighter or what have you. So, I mean, that was a that was huge for me growing up. And I'm with you. It seems like George Lucas is just like, yeah, anybody can make Star Wars stuff now. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, I'm still a Star Wars fan myself. I like both series. But when it comes to Star Wars, there's actually a new television series out there that I think – is more Star Wars than any of the latest movies. I mean, it's it's simply fantastic, called The Clone Wars. And that harkens back, for me anyways, back to the Star Wars that we grew up with, Harry. It's really fun. It's not so, you know, political intrigue and, you know, it's it's fun. And that's I'll what Star Wars out. was supposed to be, yeah. 
I was so, in high school when The Empire Strikes Back came out, and I, that's probably you know the single movie in my lifetime that I've looked forward to the most and spent the most time talking about uh, <laughs> with my pals until it came out and discussing what the storyline would be like. It, it really mattered to us. And then when it after the movie was over, talk about a discussion. Yeah. I mean, hands frozen. Luke's lost a hand and found out is Vader his father. I mean, it was it was crazy. Yeah, that was. A seminal moment in my childhood. Harry, I want to thank you for coming on OWC Radio number 11 this week. Um, I look forward to seeing you at the Macworld Expo. And like I said, if you can swing it, swing over by the Otherworld Computing booth. They've got some really great products. In fact, their brand new um, Enterprise SSD card is the fastest on the planet. You have to check that out. But where can people find you online if they want to get more information about you and follow you along on Twitter and that sort of thing? You can come to technologizer.com to see the site. And on Twitter, uh, there is a Technologizer feed, but that's basically just sort of almost like an RSS feed of my stories. But if you go to twitter.com slash Harry McCracken, that's where I, do, where I do most of my activity, and I tweet every day. Well, Harry, I want to thank you a lot for coming on OWC Radio. For those listening, if you guys want to find links to everything Harry was talking about, and including his Twitter feed, the Technologizer website itself, and of course that really interesting article about Eddie's technology, go to OWCRadio.com. And Harry, I'll see you less than a week at the Macworld Expo. My pleasure, Tim. We'll see you next week. And I'll be right back to wrap up the show, talk about some Mac news and more. Stay tuned. You know, I love uh, conducting a great interview, and Harry's a good one to interview. He's been around the tech world for so long. He's got some great insights, and I always enjoy talking to him. I do want to uh, get to a little bit of reader feedback. I got a email from Charles R. Bell, and he writes, uh, he's a listener and a fan of some of the podcasts that we do. Um, of course, hopefully, OWC Radio and uh, Geekiest Show Ever, he says. And he was listening to a recent episode where I mentioned that uh, on another show that I could provide help to people interested in learning how to podcast. And he says he's just starting up his own podcast using a Mac and probably GarageBand for recording. And he has some equipment to use, including a mixing board. And uh, But he will need to purchase some uh, microphones. He wants to know if I have any particular recommendations. And also wondering about using uh, music in a podcast. He's interested in doing a music-oriented podcast that would discuss music and new releases. And he says he's just a beginner, so any help would be appreciated. I'm happy to help, Charlie. Uh, number one, <clears throat> congratulations on getting into podcasting. It's a lot of fun. It's also a lot of work, especially if you're doing it by yourself. It could be a little intimidating to some people. The best advice I can give is uh, just start recording. Just start recording and create your show. And know that the first couple shows you're going to do probably aren't going to be your best shows. But the more you do, the easier it's going to get and the more fun you're going to have. And really, if it's not fun to do, don't do it. So if you're interested in getting into podcasting, not just uh, Charlie, but any of you listening, only do it because you have a passion for it. It's something that you think that you'd really enjoy. You've always wanted to get into radio or that sort of thing. And uh, just do it. Just start recording yourself. Put them out there on the Internet and uh, just do it. Because if you're not doing it now, you never will. And you'll never get good at it. 
and and don't let the negative, well, what if I'm not very good? Maybe I'll stumble. Maybe I'll do this a lot. Um, mm, uh, that sort of thing. Don't worry about it. Just start recording yourself. Directly to answer, Charlie, number one, no, I don't have any um, direct recommendations for a microphone. I will say go up to MaxSales.com. We've got a lot of different microphones there. And uh, pick one that fits your needs, which one you think, you know what, that microphone looks like it would fit exactly the kind of show that I want to do. Uh, I like the way it looks. Uh, the reviews are always good for it. Make sure you check out reviews of anything before you buy it. And just find a microphone that's going to fit your needs. And it's also going to be one of the most important purchases. And the options are huge and wide. If you do go with a condenser mic with a USB connection, that will give you both good audio and make it easy to get that sound into GarageBand because you just have to plug that microphone directly into a USB port on your mic on your Macintosh. On the other hand, a mixer that connects to your computer via USB or FireWire and provides phantom power to a high-quality microphone, that's the route that all pro podcasters do. It uh, That's the route we go. That's what I do. Uh, what that does, and yes, it's going to cost a little bit more money this route, but you're going to have a lot better control over your audio quality. And, of course, you're recording a podcast, so audio quality is kind of important. And, of course, you could always just get a USB headset mic. You won't get the best quality. It is the easiest way to get sound into your Macintosh, and you can clean up the audio quality somewhat in GarageBand. Music's a different story, though, Charlie. Legally, you cannot use any RIAA-covered music without paying usage rights. And that could be pretty expensive. Uh, while this might change someday, don't count on it changing anytime soon. If you do do it, well, just hopefully no one from the RIAA will come knocking on your door. Uh, it used to be an unofficial rule of thumb, don't use anything more than 15 seconds of any uh, commercial music, and they probably won't bother you. But you might not want to take that chance. Legally, you're not allowed to use commercial music. Thankfully, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you would say, uh, free-to-use music online, podcast-safe music. In fact, if you go up to Google and just do a search for podcast-safe music, you're going to find more music than you know what to do with. And you know what? It's just as good as the commercial stuff that you hear on the radio. The only difference is... You haven't heard this music before because usually it's unsigned bands and artists and stuff like that. So I hope that helps, Charlie. Um, just start doing it, man. Seriously. Hit the record button and just start talking. Whatever the show is going to be about, just start recording it. So we're less than a week away from the Macworld Expo. I'm really looking forward to it. As I record this on Wednesday, the 3rd of February, um, one week from right now, I will be feet down in San Francisco. I actually arrive on Tuesday, so I'll be in San Francisco this time next week, probably recording an OWC radio episode. There's a lot of things going on during the expo, of course. Uh, I'm going to be there a couple days early, check out the setup. Um, I'm I, I'm just really psyched about the whole thing. Uh, I can't wait to see everybody from Otherworld Computing, of course. And I've got so many friends and colleagues that, uh, you know, that I've met over the years of going to the Macworld Expos. And it's going to be uh, odd for some of them because they're used to me being there as part of MyMac.com. That's not the case this year. I'm covering the event for OWC Radio. And I'm going to attempt to get a lot of these different people that I know 
to, uh, if not sit down, at least stand there for a few minutes while I talk to him for OWC Radio. I do plan on having a brand new show every day starting Wednesday during the Macworld Expo with the exclusion of Saturday because that's the day I fly back and I don't know if I'll have enough time to uh, edit and put the show out there. So next week, um, in fact, our very next show, OWC Radio number 12, will be recorded in San Francisco um, a week from today. Of course, it's, like I said, Macworld Expo 11th through the 13th. We are Macworld Expo booth number 1354. I'd really appreciate if you guys can come out to the Macworld Expo, especially if you live in the area. If you live in San Francisco, you got to come to the Macworld Expo. And if you're going to be there anyways, come check out Otherworld Computing's booth number 1354. We'd really love to see you. I'd love to show you what we have to offer. Uh, the latest and greatest in storage memory solutions. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks a lot for listening to OWC radio number 11. If you want to contact us, our email address is podcast at maxsales.com. If you've got a technical question, Hey, let me know. I'll see if I can find an answer for you and I'll read it right here on the show. Having a problem with your Mac, I'm happy to help. And if I don't know the answer, I bet somebody on the internet does, or at the very least, Someone at Otherworld Computing will probably have an answer for me because, let's be honest, they're experts over there. They know exactly what they're doing. So, podcast at maxsales.com. You can also send us audio feedback. You can record it on your iPhone or your iPod Touch if you have a microphone. And you can email that to podcast at maxsales.com. Or you can simply call us at 1-801-938-5559. Or follow us on Twitter. Twitter.com slash OWC radio. So thanks a lot for listening this week. I'll talk to you guys uh, one week from today from San Francisco. Hopefully the weather's nice and warm, unlike here in West Michigan. Brr.